Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you have come out of First Baptist Eichard. This is, this morning, the last sermon of the first 100 years of the existence of our church. Now, that may not seem like a lot. Some of you are so close to 100, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Actually, no one in here is even remotely close to 100. But for 100 years, our church has stood in three different sanctuaries in multiple buildings, some which have burned and some which you stopped from burning and were scolded from doing so. Think about that one for a second. That's how we feel about our facilities sometimes. But for a hundred years, our church has stood here in Eichard and has faithfully preached the gospel of Christ to our community and to the ends of the earth. Many churches from generations before could say that they had faithfully preached in their community. But because of limitations of technology and transportation, they could not say that they had done so to the ends of the earth. Even when our church was started a hundred years ago, it would have been very difficult to think about going to the ends of the earth. If you're not aware, things have changed since 1918. And yet in that hundred years, many of you and other faithful followers of Christ who have been a part of this church have done just that. And next Sunday morning, we will get to celebrate that fact. Uh, next Saturday is our 100th anniversary, and we're going to have food and ice cream, which is appropriate for a 100th birthday party. We will play games, which many people would not play on their 100th birthday party because they would not be able to do so, but many of you can. And we'll have a time from 11 to 3 of fellowship. Uh, but then next Sunday morning, we're going to have a time of worship as we celebrate 100 years past and begin our second 100 years here. And so a number of our uh, former staff members and then other uh, people who have been called out of this church will be here sharing. Our choir is preparing uh, to share next Sunday morning and going to have some uh, folks with them who maybe haven't sang in the choir here in a long time. And so looking forward to that, and then we're going to have lunch after. So we're going to eat two days in a row. On Saturday, you just show up with a lawn chair and maybe some cornhole boards and eat. On Sunday, you eat what you bring, and if you bring nothing, you will starve. <laughs> Someone might be nice and share some casserole with you, but that's not a guarantee, so don't assume. But it is a joyous occasion. And it dawned on me very early this morning that this is the last sermon of the first 100 years of our church. There have been maybe 5,200 or so Sundays since the church was founded. Assuming for weather and some other special things, there may have been as many as 5,000 sermons preached at this church. 
and for most of the last 50 years from this room. And so I think it's appropriate that as we come to this last sermon of our first 100 years, that the command that the scriptures give us is to love one another. What an appropriate thing that the Lord would bring us to this Sunday. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read this morning through the end of the chapter. And I would invite you, if you're able this morning, to stand with me in reverence to God's Word. 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, And love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. By the spirit whom he has given us. You may be seated. Loving one another is... A central part, and we might could argue the central part of the Christian life. We are able to love others because Christ has loved us. We are able to love other people because the Father has shown us His amazing love. And our love toward one another... And I'm not talking here about the love that you have for other people outside. I'm talking about the love you have toward other believers. 
is love that becomes an outward sign toward the world of the inward change that has happened in your life. So when you love other people, when you love other Christians, when you love other believers, it's a sign of what Christ has done in your own life. The reality is, it is very difficult to love other people. We can easily find reasons not to love someone else. We can look at the way they live, we can look at the way they act and not love them. We, we see that even in our own room, we are all so very different. We see the world differently, our families are different, we have different experiences and yet the calling on the Christian life is to love one another. To set aside all of those things that make us different for the one thing that brings us together. And that is Christ. No matter how different we may be and no matter how different other Christians that we encounter are, all of those things are secondary in comparison to the relationship that we have with Christ. No matter where you go in the world, no matter the type of person you meet, no matter the color of their skin or the language that they speak, all of those things are secondary if they are a Christian. Even with all of those differences, you have more in common than you do different in Christ. And so love is of paramount importance for us as believers. And this morning, I want us to think about four truths about love, or at least about our love toward one another. Four truths about our love toward one another another. This is not to minimize the love that we have toward other people in the world. But friends, if we are going to love other people in the world effectively, it has to start with the love we have toward one another. So four truths that we know about this love that God has called us to. First, in verses 11 through 15, we see that love is a mark of true faith. Love is a mark of true faith. He says, John begins this section by saying, you've heard this from the beginning that we should love one another. In other words, this is a foundational idea of the Christian life. A foundational idea of the Christian life. You've heard it from the beginning that you should love one another. This is not something that Jesus tagged on at the end of his ministry. It's not something that he just added on top of everything else that he has taught. It is foundational to our relationship with Christ that we love one another. He even says we're not to be like Cain. We remember Cain back from the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Cain kills his brother. He has hatred toward his brother. They go and they offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Abel's sacrifice is welcomed, the brother. But Cain's is not. John tells us that's because Cain was not righteous. His deeds were evil and Abel was righteous. 
And therefore, God accepted Abel's offering, and it caused Cain to be angry against his brother. It caused Cain to rise up against his brother, strike him down, and kill him. What happens when we have evil deeds? What happens when we are not righteous? Well, our, our anger, our hate is what consumes us. We are called as believers to be different. Instead of having hate in our heart that, that reveals itself in many different ways toward those around us, we are to have hearts that are filled with love. Love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love toward those around us. Love that is what directs and consumes our life, not hate. We are to live righteously. And he says in verse 13, if we do that, we should not be surprised if the world hates us. Think about Jesus' own life. Jesus' life was consumed by love. Everything that He did was out of His love for the Father and because of that love toward us. Jesus did not do anything for His own personal gain. He did not do anything to expand his own, his own influence. He did everything out of love for us. He did everything out of his love for the Father. And what happened? The world hated him for that. And so John says when we become people who are consumed by love, when our actions are based on love, when we when we orient our life around loving other people, we should not be surprised if the world does not appreciate that. If the world hates us for doing that. Because we realize that the world is evil. That the deeds of the world are wicked. And so when they see a contrast, which is what we provide when we live a life that is focused on love, all they can do is hate that. But we live a life of love. We live a life that is directed by love because it is a sign of what God has done on the inside of our heart. Think about the places that you work. Think about the people that you work with who aren't oriented toward love. Whose heart are not possessed by Christ. They... They may work hard, but they do so to, to gain things for themselves. They would have no problem stabbing you in the back, stabbing another employee in the back to get ahead. There's always something going on where they're trying to figure out how to advance themselves. We think about the, the world around us, the culture around us, and that's what we see constantly. Everything is about self and I and me. But when we are focused on loving one another, we do not consider our own needs most important, but the needs of others to be most important. And that sets us apart from the world and makes us different from the world. And the world will never love that. Love is a sign that we have been redeemed by the Father. Look in verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Think about what he's saying here. You can say the right things. You can claim that you know the right things about Jesus. So you know that He lived a perfect life and you know that He died on the cross for your sins and you know that on the third day God raised Him from the dead. You can say all of those things. He says, but the way we know that we have been saved is that we love one another. So you can't then stand before God and say, God, I know these truths about you. I know this and I know this and I know this. But then have God say to you, well, hey, do you love your, your brother here? Do you love your sister here? Oh, no, no. I mean, do you know what they do? Do you know who they are? Do you know what they think? Do you know who they spend time with? Do you know what they spend their money on? Do you know what they said about me? All of these things over here that you say you believe about God have no meaning if those things do not translate into love toward one another. But when we love one another, he says here, then we know that we have passed from death into life. The result of right belief, the result of God changing our heart is that we will then love one another. And if we do not have that love toward one another, we have a serious problem when it comes to what we believe because that belief has not translated into the results that the Bible tells us it will translate into. We don't get to just list our accomplishments in Christ without love for one another and believe that those things have really changed our heart. In fact, he's very clear at the end of verse 14. Whoever does not love abides in death. Friends, if you do not have the ability to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are still abiding in the death of lostness. And I'm not talking about the brothers and sisters in Christ who do everything you want them to do, who think exactly like you want them to think, who look like you and act like you and never cause you any problems. Those don't count. I mean, they do count. If you don't love them, I mean, the discussion's already over. But it's the Christian who you don't agree with. It's the Christian who gets on your nerves it's the Christian who doesn't think like you do. It's the Christian who doesn't act like you do. Friends, if you do not love them, the Bible says you continue to abide in death. If you're wondering, that's not where you want to be. If you're, is there any confusion? That's the one you don't want to be doing. Friends, this passage is a serious call to self-examination. You need to consider your own heart. If you do not love other believers, we're not talking about the world at this point. We're not talking about lost people at this point. We've not even gotten there yet. If you do not love 
the people who sit in the pew next to you because you don't feel you have that capacity or they've done something to wrong you or you just don't like them or whatever, you have a problem. Because the mark of true faith is love. If your whole world is oriented toward hating other people, you've got a problem. Friends, we are called to love one another and given the capacity to do so because of our salvation in Christ. So love, the first truth, love is a mark of true faith. Second truth, verses 16 through 18. Love is demonstrated through service to others. How do we put that love into action? Love is demonstrated through service to others. First, in verse 16, love may be demonstrated through laying down your life. Look what he says in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How do we even know what love is? If you turn on the television this afternoon you will find one million different definitions for what love is. But almost every single one of them will be superficial or false. I love sweet tea. Some of you agree with that statement. Others of you have serious problems in your life, and we understand that. Some of you have diabetes, and we'll excuse that. Although if you can take any other sugar, why wouldn't you take it through sweet tea? Obviously the best way to get your sugar intake. But when I say I love sweet tea, is that the same as saying I love my children? I use the same word, and in the English language, they're, they're the same word. In the Greek language, fortunately for us, there's not, and we understand different types of love that comes from the biblical languages. Most of the definitions that we have of love are fake. There's no way that, that any of us who is sane would say that we, we love a sugary beverage in the same way that we love our children. If we contrast that even further, in if we look at our love toward God, it is to make all other loves comparably look like hate. So what does love look like? How do we know what love is? Well, that's exactly what we find in Jesus. We know what love is because He gives us the ability to know what love is by demonstrating His own love. He demonstrated his own love by laying down his life for us, verse 16 tells us. And because Jesus showed us love, we then know what love is. And so compared to what Jesus did, my love for sweet tea is nothing. Compared to what Jesus did, my love for everything else is nothing. And so we're able to understand what love is because Jesus died for us. And so John tells us that we ought to lay down our lives for others. 
So what does that mean? Well, it could mean, and we've seen in the history of the church, it has meant people dying so other people don't die. It has meant people losing their life, being dead, so that someone else might live. Maybe that is the fact they have died so that someone else would hear the life-giving message of Christ. Many people have given up their life, their comfort here, everything that they have here, so that others would hear about Jesus. You say, well, I would never do that. John says you ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It doesn't need my explanation. It's pretty clear what it says. It may be that Jesus calls us to die for other people. And most of us in the room value our life where we never have to worry about making that choice because we just wouldn't do it. But it's how we show love. It's how Jesus showed love. He was a real man. He had real feelings. He had a real family. He was a real person. He went and died on a cross for you. None of us are surely would think that we are better than he. But most people aren't asked to lay down their life. Even in times of great persecution of the church in the history of the church, there has not been a requirement that most people laid down their life. But, but he doesn't stop. Look at the second part of that. Because love is demonstrated through service to others. So for some that might be laying down their life. But it's also demonstrated in verses 17 and 18 through giving. Look what he says. But if anyone has the world's goods. What is the world's goods? It's stuff. It's junk. The world's stuff. Your money. Your house. Your time. Your food. The world's stuff. What does he say? He says, if anyone has the world's stuff, hold on to it tightly and never let it go. If that's your translation, see me after. We'll throw it away for you. It says, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. And he asks a question, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, how can you call yourself a Christian while you watch a brother in Christ? Not Someone far away, not someone who you've never met before, not someone who you've never heard of before, not someone who's of a different religion than you. How can you watch someone who is your brother in Christ starve and not do anything about it and call yourself a Christian? Yet closes his heart against him. It's a question. It's a question to ponder. See, love is demonstrated through service to others. And friends, we always need to realize that we have a lot more than the people around us. I know in this room, some of you have a lot of money. Some of you don't have a lot of money. Some of you have a lot of stuff. Some of you don't have a lot of stuff. Friends, there's always something we can do to help someone who's in need. And how shameful it would be, not only on our own selves, but on the church, if there is someone around us who has a genuine need, who is genuinely hurting, who is genuinely hungry, and we know it, and we look at that and go, well, that's too bad.
Friends, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. One day they're going to put all of us in a box. Or they're going to put all of us in a big furnace and burn us up and put us in a little urn of little ashes. Or you're going to die somewhere and they don't find you. And what happens there is unpleasant. But it's going to happen to all of us. If you look around this room, there's no one sitting in here who was here when this church was founded 100 years ago. No one even close. You can't take it with you. If we really want to love the people around us, we really want to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will demonstrate that love through serving them. Knowing that the great example of service is the fact that Christ himself, the God of heaven, stepped out of glory, took on human flesh, died on a miserable, rotten, wooden cross for us. So let me promise that the things we normally do to help other people do not compare to that. And so until it does, we can't say we're doing too much. Because the example is the one who gave it all. Consider how you love. It's easy to say, I love my brother or sister in Christ. I, I love the person sitting down the pew from me. I love the person sitting in the room with me. It's a different thing to serve them in their time of need. But that's how we demonstrate love. Third truth. So first, love is a mark of true faith. Second, love is demonstrated through service to others. Third, love reveals God's process of heart change. If you do not love, then you've not went through a process of heart change. Okay? So this is God's process of heart change. He, he says, if we pick up in verse 19, by this, talking about loving others by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him so when we love others it comforts our heart it lets us to know what god is doing in our heart so many people struggle with assurance of their salvation i don't want you to raise your hand but just in your own mind think about this how many of you at some point have struggled with being assured that you are truly saved so there's two remedies for this. There's the one that is popular among some where they just try to get you saved every week. And so you come down every week and you get saved again and that's supposed to do it. So that's wrong. And we don't do that here. But there's the other where, where we try to tell you what the Bible says about being assured. So here's one of these points. How do you know that you are saved? John says, well, you have love in your heart. You have love toward other people. That's how you know that God has saved you. And I think we've all struggled with that. I remember a time in high school where I struggled with that over a long period of time. A lot of doubt in my life. Well, how does God assure us? What's well, by love? So look what happens. Verse 20. The heart condemns us. So, so this is what happens. The heart tells us, well, you're not really saved. Or the heart tells us that, that you know, you've never been saved. Our, our heart, our sin, our conscience says, you're not a believer. There is no God. God's not real. Whatever it is that our heart is telling us. So what does God do? Look at the second part of verse 20. 
God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Isn't that good to know this morning? God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So here's our heart saying, you know, you're, you're evil, and you're wicked, and, and the Lord doesn't love you, or the Lord doesn't exist, or, or you know, all these things in the world say this or that, and, and you're just struggling in your heart. And here comes God, and he's bigger than your heart, and he knows everything. So there's a lot of questions in the universe that I don't know. There's a lot of questions in the universe that you don't know the answer to. But God does. And for me, that's enough. Like when I, I want to answer the question, I want to figure out the answer, but when I can't, here comes God and he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I know the answer to this. So our heart condemns us, but God is bigger, and so what happens? Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. So all of a sudden, here God comes in, he says, I'm bigger than your heart, I know more than you do, and we're no longer condemned. And then what do we have? He says we have confidence. And then what happens after confidence? Look at the next verse. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This is a process. And this process happens in all of us. And it happens sometimes constantly. So we, we have some big question of life that comes up and we don't know the answer and we, we struggle or our heart is condemning us with it. And all of a sudden, here comes the Father and he comes and he says, you know, I'm, I know this, I got this. And all of a sudden, we're not condemned. And now we have confidence before God. And now we ask God, we, we ask these things that we need. We ask God to answer these questions or we ask God to help us in this time of struggle. And this shows us that God is there. Well, how does God reveal himself in this? It's through the love that we have for one another. Why does God work in this way? I don't know, but this is how he works. This is what his, his word says, that, that as we love one another, as we see what God has done in our heart to allow us to show love to people that we normally would not show love to, God transforms our heart. God reshapes our heart. God reassures our heart. And we're able to ask anything according to His will. He'll pick up on that in just a few chapters. Chapter 5, he'll, he'll kind of renew this line of thinking and say, if you ask anything according to His will... He says here, if we keep His, because we keep His commandment and do what pleases Him... And friends, according to John 8, that's exactly what Jesus did. Even when he asked anything of the Father, he did so according to his will. He did so seeking to please God in all that he did. And he calls us to do the same. And so this love that God has called us to is what gives us assurance Friends, we often have tried to place assurance on, on you walking down the aisle and speaking to a preacher and going through baptism and, and taking this class or showing up for Sunday school or putting money in the offering plate. And we see all of those things and try to say, well, there's a sign that I'm a Christian. No, there's a sign that you did those things. Walking an aisle is a sign that you walked an aisle. Being baptized is a sign at, at, at worst, that you, you were baptized. 
Now, hopefully, walking in an aisle, being baptized is a sign that God changed your heart. But how do we know that after the fact? We keep his commandments. And we love one another. If you don't do those things, friends, you don't get to one day stand before God when, when he's judging the living and the dead, when, when the final judgment, when rewards are given and say, well, God, when I was five, I, I walked that aisle. Friends, let me promise you that for all of my children, and maybe some of your children, I could have told them before the service, at the end of the service, walk the aisle and talk to me. I guarantee you my kids would have done it. I mean, they want to eat lunch when this is all over with, so if they were told to do that, that's what they would do. Friends, that doesn't mean that God's changed their heart. The way we know that God has changed our heart is that we love one another. And if that's absent, we've got to do some searching to find out why that is the case. Because John has said it will be part of the Christian life. And so what love does is it reveals this process to us that God uses and it reassures our heart. And then a fourth truth. The fourth truth, love is inseparable from right belief about God. Love cannot be separated from right belief about God. I really wanted this point to say that love is inseparable from theological orthodoxy, but my wife said that I couldn't do that one, which means exactly the same thing. But I was told right belief about God. So what does that mean? Well, look what he says in these last verses. And this is his commandment, one commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. He has one commandment, but there's two parts of this one commandment, right? To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Now what's, what's intriguing about this one passage, this one verse, is that John takes what we believe and he says it cannot be separated from what we do. James in his letter would put it like this, faith without works is dead. Now, I believe and you believe, I hope, that you cannot work your way to God. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. You cannot be better to make God love you more. There is nothing at all in the world you can do to earn the favor and love of God. In comparison to Him, your righteousness is like filthy rags. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So none of us... Can do, earn, can do anything to earn his favor and love. But John is very clear here that we cannot separate what we believe about God from what we do in response to that belief about God. 
And yet, friends, so many people in the church today try to do this. Many try to do it in the other direction than what John is talking about here and what I'm thinking here is appropriate in our context. Many will try to say, this is what I do over here. This is what I do because of Jesus. I I try to be a good person. I try to do good things. I try to love people, whatever it is over here. And they kind of ignore over here right belief about God. Believing the right things about God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Believing that He lived a perfect life and died in our place on the cross. Believing that He's coming again one day. Believing that, that Jesus is the only way to be saved. So a lot of the people over here, they want to do the good stuff and they ignore the right belief. Well, friends, oftentimes as Baptists, we've been over here, and so we've got the checklist believing the right things about God. Man, we believe the Bible. We believe it's inerrant and inspired and infallible. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that Jesus is the only Son of God, and we believe He's the only way to heaven. And we believe that he died and rose again on the third day. And we, the checklist is great. I mean, just read our statement of faith and our constitution and bylaws. It is top-notch work. Not that any of us in the room did it, but we adopted it. And we believe it. We ascribe to it. But we miss this side. We believe the right things, but we don't necessarily believe that the right things translate into certain things for the Christian life. And so we believe wholeheartedly in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, but but the loving one another is a secondary issue. We see that as a second-tier issue. Right belief is most important. And friends, we will always, while I stand behind this pulpit, care about right belief. But we can't say that we have right belief when at the same time we ignore the command, the mandate to love one another. Because John says they are one commandment. They're not two, where we can really embrace one and then the other just... Friends, so what he's saying here is, it doesn't matter if you have all of these things checked off. If you refuse to love one another, you really have not embraced what it means to believe correctly. It's impossible to really believe correct things about God and turn around and not love your brother or sister in Christ. It's not possible. You can't do it. Because you don't really believe these things. You can say you do. You might have signed something that says you do. But you do not really believe them if you do not love your brother or sister in Christ. And so love is inseparable from right belief about God. It's one commandment. It's given by His Spirit. We see in verse 24, His Spirit that gives us confidence. 
His Spirit that abides in us. And we know by the Spirit we abide in Him. Friends, we must examine our hearts. I wonder this morning if your obedience to His command and the confidence of the Spirit confirm in you that God has saved you from sin. If you struggle to love other Christians, why? I mean, I know. I know a lot of Christians, and some of them are very hard to love. Most of the Christians I know are the ones that go to this church. So you can think through that one. I'm sure there are times when I'm very hard to love. I've been in churches where there were a lot of people very hard to love. But friends, if we don't, what we're saying is that God has not really redeemed our heart. Friends, if you look at believers in in other communities, in other states, in other nations, you see they're struggling and you don't care. Because you got your own problems. Whatever the excuse is. What does that say about our heart? When the person down the pew from you is struggling and you can leave after seeing them and seeing their pain and hurt and not care. What does that say about your heart? Friends, John says from the beginning, from the very beginning, you have heard this message that we should love one another. Friends, it is the foundational message of the ministry of the church is that we love one another. But if we don't, what does it say about the condition of your heart? What does it say about your relationship with the Lord that you could think that in relationship with the Lord you are okay, but, but it's alright at the same time not to love those around you? Friends, I would encourage you this morning. Examine your heart. Don't go to... Sunday school, don't go to lunch, don't go to visit family without examining your heart. Christ has called you. Christ has commanded you to love one another. But in Him, it's not a burden, it's a joy. Friends, the world is broken. The world hates those who follow Christ. Why would we not then want to band together and love one another and see then what Christ does with us? He loves you. He loves you so much that He laid down His life for you. He laid down His life so that you would have life. And he calls you then to lay down your life for each other, to love each other, to meet the needs of one another, and to do so out of the overflow of the joy that he has given us 
in the Spirit's presence in our life. Examine your heart. Examine your heart and see if God does not show you the need you have to love others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you have loved us even as we have been unlovable. Even as we have struggled to love, God, you have poured out your love upon us. God, help us. Help us to love one another. Help us to love one another and and be reassured of what you have done in our heart. God, there's some here who do not love because they have never experienced your love. God, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now. God, if they don't know you, if they've never followed Christ, if they don't even know what that means, God, I pray that you would give them, God, assurance right now of your love. That, God, you would cause them to respond to your message. God, for most here, they know you. But the struggle with love is a struggle that is real and a struggle that is difficult. And God, I pray that this morning they would take, God, they would take notice of the gravity of your command to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. God, help us all to respond to your word this morning. God, pour out love upon our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray this this morning in Christ's name.